thank you for your, your holy word and um, pray that you'd help me to uh, have clear thoughts as, as we study this passage together and apply this, these words into our church community. And uh, we love you, we trust you, and uh, um, be our teacher now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, today uh, we're talking about the topic of legalism. And legalism is a major temptation for religious communities like ours. It's the tendency for religious people to make up laws that God never said should be laws. It's adding laws to God's, to God's law. And humans, whether it's in the church or it's in the government or in a family or in a neighborhood or in a workplace, are particularly good at making rules that make everyone's life miserable. And for that reason, uh, the people Jesus was most critical of were religious leaders who laid rules all over the backs of their people. And we're in a section of uh, 1 Samuel describing Saul as the first king of Israel. And in, in these chapters, uh, Saul makes three major blunders. And the first and the third of those three blunders are where he uh, does something that the Lord told him not to do. But in this passage, it's the second of the three blunders uh, where he adds something to God's command, a, a rule for his people that is foolish. You see it there in verse 24 where it says, And the men, and the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day, so Saul laid an oath on the people saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So you've got these warriors who are about to spend the day fighting against uh, an enemy who is greater than them. And Saul says to all of his soldiers, no food, no food for you. You know, no, you're all going to be hungry going into battle. And this adding of rules to God's word that makes everyone's life miserable is called legalism. And it's something that as a church community, we need to be on guard against. And so this morning, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give us a list of, of six insights about legalism from this passage and make a few comments about each of those. I know I usually give you all six up front, but since there's six of them, I'll just give them to you as we go along this morning. So this morning, we're, we're answering the question, what does this passage teach us about legalism? And there's six things I want to point out. And so the first one is this. Legalism serves man and not God. The purpose of legalism is legalism serves man and not God. And you see that there in verse 24, how it says, And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day, so Saul had laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. Now this, when you read this, if you don't know the Bible very well, you might think, well, maybe this is a command that is buried somewhere in the law of Moses that, you know, Soldiers aren't supposed to eat before they go into battle. I mean, you might think that. It sounds like kind of a devout law or an act of devotion. But there's nothing in the Old Testament Torah about soldiers not eating food. This is an added law. It's made up by Saul, and it's his attempt to secure God's blessing. I'm going to make this law, and, then I'm, and if I fulfill it, then God has to give me a blessing. And you'll notice in the end of that verse, verse 24, where it says, he says, uh, uh, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So you see what Saul's priorities are. It's not the Lord's enemies. It's not the people's enemies. It's his enemies. This is all about his personal vengeance, what he 
you know, his mission, what he wants to do. It's all about him. And, um, and this is an important observation because oftentimes legalism sounds like devotion to God. It sounds like a person's taking God very seriously and wanting to serve and obey God. But why would anyone make up laws unless those laws serve them in some ways? So the first thing we see is that legalism serves man and not God. Okay, Saul's law was about him. Okay, second thing we see in this passage is that legalism creates an atmosphere of fear. Legalism creates, and that's true in the church. When there's legalism, there's a multiplying of laws that creates an atmosphere of fear, not of God's blessing. And uh, God's law is supposed to bring blessing to his people. You know, God made us. He knows how we work. He knows what, how we function well. And so he gives us commands that when you obey God's commands, oftentimes it leads to blessing and happiness in your life. Um, and in fact, the blessing of God is present in this passage. You see there in verse 25 where it says, Now when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. So this forest they come to is just gushing with honey. And if you know the promise of the Old Testament, when God says, I'm going to give you the promised land, what's going to be in the promised land? Milk and honey. This is a sign of God's blessing. This, here's the, the flowing with milk and honey. Here it is in the land. God was blessing his people. And what did Saul's man-made rule create? Did it create blessing for his people? No. Look at verse 26. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. Under legalism, God's blessing is replaced with fear. The people feared the oath. And, uh, and it's unfortunate because in, in religious communities, these man-made laws are so often associated with God himself. And we begin to get the impression when there's many man-made laws that actually God doesn't want blessing for us. God is not open-handed and, and generous. And we start to view God in a certain way where God is holy and what he really wants from us <coughs> is not relationship and love and blessing. He just wants our compliance and obedience and law-keeping. That God is, has just a very legal mindset to him and that's all he cares about is the legality of things. And maybe some of you have grown up in a legalistic environment and it's hard for you to, to, hard for you to even imagine that God wants you to be happy. He wants to be generous to you. He wants to bless you. And so legalism creates a whole vision of what God is like and an atmosphere of fear, which is a lie about God. You know, 1 first, first John 5 says that the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. It is not burdensome to obey God because he knows how we were made. And so what we've seen so far is that legalism serves man and not God. This law was all about Saul and not about the Lord's honor. And legalism creates an atmosphere of fear and not blessing. And that's why the third thing that we see in this passage is that legalism is sinful. Legalism is sinful. It's, uh, it's, it's disobedience to God. And you see here in verse 27 how it says, Jonathan had not heard his Father charged the people with the oath. So he put out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes became bright. And I love that phrase. Here's this tired soldier, and he, you know, maybe his 
blood sugar is low or something, and he goes and he eats some honey. And you know when, you, you know when you're famished and you eat something, and it's like this new vitality and life and energy comes to you, and you can just kind of feel a click in your blood. And that's what happened uh, uh, to Jonathan. And this is the blessing of God. This is what God wanted for all of his people, to have that, that new energy and new strength given to them. And Saul was keeping it from them. But then one of the soldiers tells Jonathan, your father said on oath, we are not supposed to eat anything or we will be cursed. And then Jonathan squarely condemns Saul's command. Look at verse 29. Then Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. And that word troubled there, that's appeared earlier in the New Testament. If you go back to the book of Joshua, Achan was... uh, Uh, was a soldier who had stolen some of the plunder from Jericho. They were supposed to devote all the plunder to destruction, and he stole some of it, and and he's told, you've troubled the land. And so what Jonathan is saying to Saul is not just that this is foolish or I disagree with you. This is a sinful command that you have placed on your people, that legalism is, uh, that the Bible sees legalism as one of the most serious sins. And this is important for us to know, you know, especially if you're here and, and if you're not a Christian. I think many people, when they think about becoming a Christian, they think, well, you know, one of my fears of becoming a Christian is I know there's just going to be all these rules and laws that are going to be laid on me. And it's just, I'm going to lose the sense of freedom and life that I have. And it's just going to be a burden. And I don't want that. Well, let me tell you, that's the opposite of what the Bible gives us. The Bible, Jesus says, I'm going to set you free. God's commands are a blessing to encourage you. And it's legalism which is condemned over and over in the Bible, which is condemned here by Jonathan, and then Jesus is absolutely ruthless about about legalism, is the thing that the Bible opposes. And why is legalism so bad? Well, Jonathan points it out there in verse 30. He says, How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found? For now the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. See, man-made laws don't understand people and how we're built and what we need. And uh, it doesn't understand our frame and tends to be merciless. And because legalism is sinful, it has an unexpected side effect, which is the fourth thing I want to point out for this, from this passage, is that fourth, legalism encourages lawlessness. Legalism encourages lawlessness, which is the opposite of what you think. You would think if you're a legalist and you're all about keeping laws, it would create law-keeping, but it actually does the opposite. And, um, and you can see that here in verse 31 where it says, they struck down the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajalon, and the people were very faint. So these soldiers are exhausted because they went into battle and they've had no food and they're just famished. And so as soon as this law is lifted, that they're not allowed to eat anything, what do you think is going to happen? Well, verse 32 tells us, the people pounced on the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. And you know, where it talks about slaughtering on, slaughtered them on the ground, it means they didn't take the animals, slaughter them, and hang them and let all the, the blood, uh, you know, drain out. And, um, and so the response to this legalism was a total lawlessness. You see in verse 33, then they told Saul, behold, the people are sinning against the Lord. 
by eating with the blood. So actually something that was in God's law that they were commanded to do is to not eat the blood. And because of the legalism, it actually caused them to break God's actual commands. And this is an important distinction, that there are two ways of rejecting God's commandment. By adding man-made laws to his law or disobeying his law. And it happens in the church, uh, you know, frequently that someone grows up in a legalistic church. You know, maybe that was you, that you grew up in a church where everything had a law attached to it. And you just felt like I was living in a police state. And it was just like, you know, constant surveillance of everything that I was doing. And you grow up in that environment and then you finally move out and there's freedom. And what happens? You go wild. Because you're like, I've been living in a prison for my whole childhood, and now I just, I'm finally set free and just total reckless living. That's exactly what legalism does. Legalism creates lawlessness. Because man-made laws are not a blessing. They're a burden to us. And neither person, either the person who's the legalist, who's creating laws for everyone, or the, the person that's lawless and disobeying neither trusts God and believes that he is good and knows what is good for us. And so what we've seen so far is that legalism serves man and not God. It, it has a veneer of being devoted to God, but it's actually self-serving for humans. It creates an atmosphere of fear and not blessing. And because legalism is sinful, it ultimately cre- uh, leads to lawlessness and not law-keeping. But there's a fifth insight about legalism that I want to point out from this passage. And the fifth fifth thing is that legalism twists together truth and falsehood. Legalism takes some true things and false things and mixes them together. And it becomes very confusing because you can't parse out what's true and what's, uh, what's false. And you see here how Saul responds to all his soldiers eating this blood is he wants to fix this. He's like, oh, all my soldiers are just now gorging themselves on these animals and eating all this blood, and we need to make this right. So what does he do? It says in verse 35, and Saul built an altar to the Lord, and it was the first altar that he built to the Lord. So he's trying to get everyone together. He say, hey, don't just gorge yourselves. Let's, let's worship God. So he creates an altar. And if you read about the the kings of Israel following this. This is a pattern that many of the kings of Israel did was they'd make these altars in high places, which God, the Lord had commanded, don't do that. Don't make these high places. And here's the beginning of it. So again, he's doing something that has a veneer of looking like it's devotion and honor to God, but it's actually coming from a heart that does not trust God. And so legalism twists together truth and falsehood, which is confusing to anyone who's living under it. And this can happen in many ways in religious communities. Let me maybe give an example of how, how this could happen. Take, for example, in a church that it, uh, it could be, you could have a church community that, let's say, has tight restrictions on modest dress in the church. The church has tight, tight restriction on modest dress. And modesty is a biblical principle, But the details of what modesty is is not laid out for us in the Bible. And, of course, modesty is contextual. You know, what's modest on a Pacific island and what's modest in Alaska are probably not the same thing because the weather's different, the culture's different. Uh, um, And so you could have a church that has very tight restrictions on modesty. And yet, maybe the men in the church 
all go home and are, uh, have rampant pornography addictions. And so on the surface in the religious community, there are all these laws about modesty, but in reality, there's deep addictions to lust. And what happens actually if you have a rampant pornography addiction, you come back into the religious community, you try to crack down on modesty laws and you ratchet them up and start thinking about what everyone's wearing and making laws. And what this does is it creates a cycle of hypocrisy. Legalism and lawlessness are being twisted together into the same person. And there is nothing that will drive people from the Lord faster. People will swear to themselves, I will never live in, su- in the middle of such a lying and hypocritical culture again. This is what legalism does. It doesn't change the heart. It doesn't make true virtue. It doesn't make, you know, true uh, love for God and love for people. It makes a veneer of holiness. And so these five insights give us a warning about legalism in our community. And so what then is the solution? What's the solution to legalism? And that's our final point, is that legalism is only stopped by the gospel. The only thing that prevents legalism in a church community is the gospel. And the gospel tells us two things. Okay, the first is that we need God alone to be our king. We need God alone to be our king. And what happens in this story is that Saul then wants to go up and fight the Philistines some more. And one of the priests says, well, before we go fight the Philistines, we should inquire of the Lord and ask the Lord, is his blessing with us? So they go inquire of the Lord, and the Lord is silent. And so Saul says, well, someone sinned against the Lord because the Lord's not speaking to us. And so they cast lots, and it turns out that Jonathan has eaten food and the way that, that Saul uh, said that he shouldn't. And, um, and so Saul asked Jonathan, tell me what you've done. And Jonathan tells him. And then in verse 44 it says, And Saul said, God do so to me and more also. You shall surely die, Jonathan. So Saul says to his son, because you broke my law, you are going to die for sure. And it's very interesting what happens next. Look at verse 45. Then the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. And so the people come and they challenge the king. And this passage is extremely an extremely important one in the Old Testament about the limitations of authority. Kings don't have absolute power. So this king says, surely I made a law, and surely Jonathan's going to die. And the people said, no, he isn't. And, you know, I, I've been thinking about the limit. You know, we've, over the last couple of years, we've thought as a church quite a lot about authority in the church and in the government. And, you know, it struck me over the last couple of years that on the one hand, if, if someone tends to be more liberally minded, they may say on the one hand, well, you know, the Bible says that you should obey the governor. And so we should be obedient to the, the civil magistrate, and they've made commands on us. And so we should be obligated to do those things. But oftentimes that same person would come to the authority of the church and say, well, you know, I'm very obedient to the government, but uh, the Bible also says to obey your church authorities. Well, I'm, I'm quick to question my church authority, and I don't necessarily have to do it just because the church authority told me to do it. So on the one hand, there's an honoring of one authority and a questioning of another authority. 
But then you have a conservative. A conservative might say, well, you know, in the home, God says children and wives should be subject to the head of the household, who's the husband, and his authority should not be questioned. And so there's unquestioning authority in the home, but then the conservative might say, but the government does not have absolute authority, and I may question them and, and oppose their authority. And so what you have is in both situations, people are being inconsistent. But I think what both tell us, both sides understand, is there are limits to authority. Authority is good and should be honored, but it is not absolute. And as much as possible, we want God to be our king. He sets the rules for our life together. And all other authorities only have authority insofar as their authority is derived from him. The Bible says, don't go beyond what is written. Don't add laws to God's law. Don't elevate the traditions of man to the status of a command from God. He only is our king. And so first, the gospel stops legalism because it tells us that we need God alone to be our king. When God alone is our king, we're, we're guarded from multiplying laws, okay? But a second thing, a second way that the gospel stops legalism is that we need Jesus to question the legalists. We need Jesus to question the legalists. And if you read about Jesus' ministry in the gospels, he's frequently doing just that. But in this passage, there are these nameless men who when they hear from Saul that he's going to kill Jonathan, who's like the hero, and they're going to kill him because he ate some honey, they rise up and they say, that will never happen. And you'll notice in the end of verse 45, it says, so the people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. So people saved Jonathan from death. Of course, this is exactly what the gospel says that Jesus has done for us. He's ransomed us from the condemnation. And he comes, first of all, and he saves us from, uh, you know, the man-made laws that people lay upon us. And he says, no, you're not going to be condemned by those. I'm going to set you free from man-made laws that are crushing you, that people are put on your back. But even more than that, Jesus doesn't just ransom us from man-made laws. Jesus goes even further and ransoms us from our disobedience to actually God's law. And he's gone to the cross And freed us from both so that we are not condemned before the Lord. And he says, surely you will never die. And so how do we become a community that's not plagued by legalism? A legalism that serves man and not God and creates an atmosphere of fear, foolishly keeping us from God's blessing of honey and provoking lawlessness in us because the truth has been twisted with lies. What is the answer? The answer is the gospel. The gospel that Jesus alone is king and lawmaker, and Jesus questions the legalists for us. He is the one who stands both before the legalist and even before God himself and says, never shall my people be condemned. Let's pray together.